0: Welcome back to State of Mind with me, Grace Kingswell. I've just got two more guests for you in this series and I can't quite believe how quickly it's gone. And is anyone else finding that although we're not doing much due to lockdown, that time is actually passing so quickly, it's really bizarre? My guest today is my good friend, Anna Blackwell. Anna is an adventurer, which I feel like is one of those things you decide to be when you're a child, but that realistically you never end up being. But as Anna explains in this episode, she never had grand ideas from an early age to be an adventurer. She sort of fell into it and realized that the physical endurance and mental resilience needed to put yourself through grueling experiences was something she really enjoyed. I was personally really intrigued to find out things like, what does she eat on long expeditions? And I was quite horrified at one of the answers and also to know what it's like not seeing another human for days on end. Whether you're into hiking and adventure or not, this episode is an enlightening exploration into the human psyche and what it is about some of us that makes us enjoy and seek out adversity. I also want to apologise now for one instance in this episode where due to the Zoom connection being a bit slow, I basically interrupt Anna multiple times. Podcasting long distance via Zoom is hard, so I hope you can forgive me on that one. I also mention a trek I did in New Zealand and I couldn't remember the name at the time. It's called the Banks Peninsula and it was some of the best and hardest days of my life. Okay, let's get into the episode. Well, welcome Anna Blackwell to the podcast. How are you? I'm very well, thank you just been for a run with the dogs. I'm feeling all energetic and got my exercise endorphins flowing. Amazing. Yeah, you have a t-shirt on which is um, mental for January in Cornwall. <laughs> I've got like multiple fleeces so you've definitely been exercising. <laughs> um, so for those listeners that aren't aware, Anna is my friend and um, sadly we are recording this on Zoom because lockdown means that we can't hang out in each other's houses right now. Oh so um, sad. But she is a I know, so sad. Um, But Anna is um, a fellow cold water lover and pretty hardcore adventurer, which we're going to delve into today. But Anna, I have to ask you the first question that I ask everybody on this podcast. Um, I know we are now in 2021, but it is still, what did 2020 teach you?
1: Do you know, it taught me the patience of slowing down and appreciating where I am. Uh, So often for the last five or six years, I've been very focused on uh, sort of other destinations and where I want to be going and planning big trips and getting excited about that and actually going on those trips. And it's so rare that I've had the chance just to get really rooted and grounded and settled. So that's been my biggest learning is how to be really content and happy in one place. And I, I'm very, very happy in this place, actually. Um, so that's been a really
0: lovely learning for me. And has that been a bit of a challenge for you as well?
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, I have I have been so focused on getting to do really cool, exciting trips. That's been what my passion has been, what's been fueling me for so long. It was a little bit easier in that I knew last year was going to be different because I was studying a master's. So I'd already committed to staying in one place for the bulk of the, the year um so luckily for me I didn't have a big lifestyle change there and to be honest it did also help that I wasn't seeing loads of people going off on exciting trips everyone was in the same boat and that
0: that helped Mm. a lot. So I'd love to just wind back the clocks a little bit and talk about how you came to do what you're doing right now I guess Um, I'm a bit privileged because I sort of know so I can like (laughs) ask questions based on the fact that we're mates but this um, you previously worked in a law firm how did you go from that to I guess full-time adventurer social media person photographer and you know self-employed So it it all started a little bit
1: before the law firm, actually, quite a few years. Back when I was on my gap year, after finishing my A-levels before starting university, I had a year out. Uh, And during that time, I traveled to Central America with a sort of gap year charity organization. And part of that trip was trekking for three weeks in Costa Rica. And at that point, I'd never done anything that big or that exciting or that far-flung or independent even. Um, And it was... I remember so clearly it was it was a horrendous experience at times really brutal physically (laughs) challenging we were uncomfortable camping sleeping in sort of school buildings, stuff like that but it was the most rewarding thing I'd ever done at that point which is quite ironic because you know two years before that I had done my bronze Duke of Edinburgh award got to the end of it and swore that I would never go trekking or camping again because I'd hated it that much Um, But by the time I went to Costa Rica, something had obviously changed. So that trip really sowed the seed for me. And I remember getting to the end of the three weeks and everyone else in my group, there were probably about 12 or 14 of us aged, you know, 18 to 23, 24. Um, So we got to the end of this trek and we finished at a beach right by the ocean. It was beautiful. There were monkeys swinging between the trees and things like that. Um, And everyone else was crying tears of relief that this horrendous ordeal was over and I was sitting there, I had to take myself to a little corner and away from everyone else because I was heartbroken. I was gutted that it was over. So I, I was literally crying because I was so sad that it was it was all done. Um so from that point on, I kind of realized that I enjoyed uh adventure and challenging myself, being outside my comfort zone, doing physical things. So for the next, well, pretty much every year since then, and that was in 2012, I think. Um, every year since then I've been off on. A different trip Um, you know the following year I went I hitchhiked to Morocco with some friends from uni so not a physical trip mentally it was (laughs) quite challenging at times Um, I then went and walked the Camino which is a 500 mile 800 kilometer pilgrimage across northern Spain Um, and that was again what kind of refreshed this memory that I really liked the trekking side of things Um, so having got to the end of walking 500 miles I realized it hadn't challenged me as much as I was hoping it would so the following year I went Mm. back and walked a thousand miles because that was a logical step if 500 wasn't hard enough then maybe a thousand would be Um, but again that, that wasn't really hard enough for me so um I traveled up to arctic sweden went somewhere as remote and sort of environmentally challenging as I could find and spent five weeks trekking by myself wild camping carrying all my supplies having to pitch a tent and cook my dinner fetch water from rivers um, and I really thought that that would uh, break me and that I would want to come home straight away had the opposite. It was the best thing I had done at that point and then it all kind of snowballed. But just after finishing that first trek in Sweden, um, I came back to England, back to Oxford and started a job at a law firm. Um, it was, I kind of, I knew going into it that it wasn't the right thing for me to be doing the right step, but I... Felt like I had to prove to myself and to others that I had given the sort of conventional career a go. Um, I'd mm. done the office job, sort of thing, the nine to five, um, and you know, having done that for a year and a half, when the kind the time came to step back, I could say, actually, you know, I've I've done this. I got a lot out of it. I put a lot into it, um, but it wasn't the right thing for me. So I was able to leave that job in order to go and kayak across Europe, which was uh, quite a high profile. Well funded um, uh, expedition, uh, which luckily getting back from that five month trip sort of plopped me straight into a lot of public speaking and writing, and those opportunities just naturally arose, which was very lucky.
0: Mm. So, but how did you learn all the stuff? Like, (laughs) how did you learn, you know, when you did your first? trek or expedition you were with people so I guess you're kind of all like lumped in together but then that first one where you went out by yourself um you know like I personally as a per you know as a person I wouldn't know where to go and like what to do about like a camping stove I probably would have to learn how to like pitch a tent or I would have to learn how to use a GPS thing um, you know, and like how to read a map properly and all this stuff. Like, how did you acquire all of these skills? So, I mean, the first trip that I really needed those skills was probably the five-week
1: trek in Arctic Sweden that I did in 2016. Because the other ones had been mainland Europe. I hadn't really been camping the the um the Camino and the Thousand Miles. So before I went to Sweden, some of the skills I already had. Uh, But I took myself off on a mountain skills course in Snowdenia Mm. to get the kind of um, the more hardcore skills through Duke of Edinburgh. I'd already sort of done a bit of map reading and in Costa Rica, but I didn't trust my ability with that at all. So I actively went out and sought those skills and those experiences um, so that I knew going into quite a remote, challenging, potentially dangerous environment. I knew that actually I did have the skills and the confidence to use those skills uh, should I Mm. need to. Um, And then a lot of it I just sort of picked up along the way and done a lot of research myself, things like what equipment to take, the things that are essential, the things I can live without. That's just been through going off on, like, two, three days, walking at a time and wild camping. You know, before I went and did the five weeks in Sweden, I had only wild camped by myself once, I think, maybe two nights tops. So it was quite a big step up from, like, those couple of nights, and that was actually down here in Cornwall, um, in order to test the tent that I thought I would take. Um, So I'd spent two nights just camping on the coastal path, and then went off for five weeks. And, you know, it was it was a big leap. But that's kind of how I do things. (laughs) Mm. Jump in at the deep (laughs) end.
0: And when did you go from um, kind of constantly seeking, you know, more endurance and like pushing yourself further, to maybe actually just realizing that, you could let yourself enjoy it just for what it was like does it always have to be about oh, i'm not going to enjoy this unless i am physically at my absolute limit
1: it's interesting so i've noticed quite a lot of adventurers and explorers will when they go off on their expeditions they purposely make it as horrendous as possible in order mm. to i don't know if they're trying to prove something to themselves or to other people but i i shy away from doing that so ultimately i do want to enjoy these things you know and yeah. I don't see the point of doing them if it's gonna be miserable the whole time, but I find the like the physical challenge of it I find it really fulfilling and rewarding getting through that that has kind of morphed though I guess so you know the the original um evolution of those trips was all about physically pushing myself more and I guess mentally and emotionally pushing pushing myself more, which is why I went somewhere really remote. But since that five week trip, uh, it's been less about pushing myself and more actually just going to places that I love and places that make me feel really alive. And I feel like I'm the best version of myself when I'm when I'm in those sort of in in the wilderness, in the mountains. Maybe it's not having other people around. Mm. Um, But I was about to say,
0: is it really ironic that you are the best version of yourself, but there's no one around to take (laughs)
1: advantage of it? Yeah, well, I guess this is why I, like, I film this a little bit. So people can see how happy I am up there. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it is interesting though, because it would, you know, I do sometimes miss having another person there. There are definite pros and cons to being by myself. And in 2019, yeah, 2019, I spent three months trekking across Arctic Northern Scandinavia by myself. And that was the biggest solo trip I had done. Um, and I went, you know, up to, I think it was eight or 10 days where I didn't see another person at all. Um, Mm. and that kind of solo side of it is fantastic at times. I find it really heightens my emotions, my responses to things. So when I'm really happy or when I see something really beautiful, it's like, it is overwhelming and it's, yeah, I get like goosebumps and I will cry and it will be so, so powerful But then equally in the low bits, when I'm feeling frustrated or demotivated or I'm just a bit tired and hungry, it is fully down to you to get yourself through those times. Like there isn't another person there Mm. to be like, come on, mate, get a grip. You know, you can't just pick up the phone and ask someone to motivate you or distract you. And I purposefully don't take headphones, for example, because I don't want that distraction or that easy out. I know that if I listen to a podcast or an audiobook, I will totally zone out from where I am and what I'm going through. So I don't mm. take headphones because I want to be, I want to live that experience, which is a little mm. bit bizarre, and sometimes I regret it. Um, but in those moments, you know, it would be great to have another person to motivate you or to share the the beautiful
0: moments with. Um, mm. Yeah. It's so interesting, isn't it? Because I think, you know, as humans, we're all so different. But there are definitely those amongst us, like yourself, who get so much enjoyment from you know pushing yourself to the absolute limits spending a lot of time by yourself and you know really experiencing tough situations in which you know there could be life or death scenarios Um, and then there are those of us that just really are are totally right not not challenging ourselves to, to the limits and there's there's definitely something about the human psyche isn't there because otherwise you know why would people go and climb everest um that makes us just want to kind of push it to the extreme and see what happens and be okay with the fact that it might end very very badly <laughs> like you know when you go and climb everest you have to be psychologically prepared for the fact that you might not make it and that's terrifying but to some people you know They relish in that. So it's it's funny because, I mean, even when it comes down to something as simple as uh, sea swimming or like cold water or like doing an ice mile or ice swimming, you know, there's people like you and I who will happily just go and and get in. And then there's people like my husband, Nick, who will be like, why? No, like (laughs) he just, you know, people were like, well, why would I put myself through that? You know, I have no need. I have no need for that pushing myself to that kind of level. So... I don't know, do you think you were always like that from a child or is it purely because you kind of did one trek and you kind of got the bug and you thought, yeah, I actually really enjoy this? I
1: definitely was not like this as a child. I mean, I, I my parents because probably I wouldn't know say you, differently. Anna,
0: and I know that you love a bit of luxury. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> There's, you know, we all like a hot bath at the end of the day.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I, but I think, I think I appreciate and love those things all the more because I have lived without them Mm. so for example when I'm not on an expedition or adventure I nest hard like I love having a really homey warm comfortable environment so the cottage that I live in in Cornwall is gorgeous and I take such pride and joy from that but I think because I have spent months at a time living in a tent and going weeks without having a shower or soap you know being able to have those things in my non-adventure life it's it's sort of more like I appreciate them more I guess um but yeah I definitely I wasn't always like this I used to be quite sort of shy and timid I think definitely not a challenge seeker
0: wow yeah because I wouldn't I definitely no I I definitely would say you're not a shy person at all (laughs) um okay so let's talk about like food and showers and like (laughs) I don't know all that stuff okay so what do you what do you eat like what do you live on okay, as a nutritionist so, I am very interested to hear about this
1: yeah so my normal day-to-day so gen, the, the the sort of, of adventures that I do are generally trekking in the mountains so my normal diet on that I would have
0: porridge which I know you don't approve of but I, it's so with... funny because I recorded a podcast about porridge an hour ago <laughs> But if, you put protein powder in it, don't yeah, you? Yeah,
1: so it's oats with protein powder, it's got um nuts and seeds and some generally chopped dates or raisins, um, and that's some fine. cinnamon. Yeah, so mm. I kind of go for a bit of a proteiny porridge. Um and yeah, it's and cooked also with water. You
0: need those carbohydrates because you're trekking. Yeah.
1: Um yeah. so that's breakfast. I will then have one or two uh snack bars, generally sort of nutty nutty snack bars um, or protein bar, that sort of thing, during the morning or a handful of nuts. Um, I absolutely love peanuts and raisins. I just can't stop. Um, <laughs> and then lunch is crisp bread. Um, so it's really traditional. It's like rye vita, that sort of thing. But I have sort of a couple of pieces mm. of this rye crisp bread with tubey cheese and ham on it, which sounds revolting. But it's, you know, it's high in protein and fat and salt and the sorts of things that actually do you kind of need when you're when you're trekking. So I'll have a couple of bits of that. You know, my my
0: stomach curls at the thought. (laughs) I can get on board. I can get on board with tubey cheese. But like, how do you make ham into like... paste. I don't,
1: I don't want to know. These are the questions that I specifically don't ask because it's, I find it's just such a practical food for these trips. And like, if you've got a little please never tell me the ingredients. No, I don't. I haven't looked at the ingredients. I'm not going to. Um, yeah, so that's lunch. A couple more snack bars during the afternoon. Um, I normally have like four snacks a day. Uh, and then dinner is, uh, like a dehydrated expedition meal. So, It's a meal that has been cooked in a kitchen somewhere and then dehydrated completely and then you just add boiling water to it, seal the packet up for eight to ten minutes, Mm. uh, give it a stir and then it is good to go. So that's like a normal sort of meal. The calories on those tend to be anywhere between 600 and a thousand calories, which actually is not that much when you think about how much you're burning during the day when you're physically active for like eight hours a day, Mm. carrying a heavy rucksack, I'll sort of be carrying anywhere between sort of 25 to 30 kilos um mm. so yeah that's dinner and then chocolate a couple of bars bars lines of a bar of chocolate I have to ration everything and that's something that i really struggle with because my sort of impulse control is pretty poor so when yeah. i've got a big bar of chocolate that has to last me eight or ten days that is a real challenge mm. um
0: and also yeah. you don't you make you have a morning coffee too don't you that's oh like yes part of your ritual. Oh, how could i forget that
1: that's like yeah my favorite part of the day and it's proper coffee it's not instant i take ground coffee with me and sort of have a little pour over filter and you know nice take the time just to enjoy the view and the smell of fresh coffee sitting
0: in my sleeping yeah. bag <laughs> oh so good i'm just jumping in here to tell you about the sponsor of this episode davy j waterwear Davy J is an amazing, small, sustainable brand based in Devon, who designs swimwear for women who love the ocean, and they celebrate and encourage everyone to explore the joy that water can bring all year round. And speaking of all year round, Davy J have recently launched a swim top that I think all of you winter swimmers out there are going to love. It's available on pre-order as there's been so much interest and it falls halfway between a swimsuit and a wetsuit top, perfect for swimming through the colder months giving you just that extra bit of warmth and protection. All the Davy J swimwear is designed for real women, it's flattering and has great coverage and all the suits are double lined so they're super thick and supportive. They're made from a really high quality recycled fabric and their styles are designed to survive a dive and stay on in the waves. I'm a huge fan of the thick fabric for winter swims and I've actually been wearing my Davy J swimsuit under my wetsuit for extra warmth on those cold winter surfs. It makes all the difference. Davy J are offering 10% off to all my listeners using the code STATEOFMIND. So do make sure you visit their website, davyj.org, and follow along on their Instagram, at Davy for some epic lifestyle inspiration. When I was trekking, Anna, in New Zealand, because yes, I have done some hardcore stuff, Um, it's actually quite funny because we did, uh, what's it called? It's like a four-day... I'm going to have to find out what it's called because it's quite a well-known trek. Um, anyway, we I did this with my mum and my dad, who I think at the time were both in their late 60s. Or my dad was in his late 60s and my mum was in her 50s or whatever. I don't know. I'm terrible with numbers. Anyway, we <laughs> rocked up with um, just rucksacks and trainers. And um, we started doing this trek and we very, very quickly realized that we were in way over our heads. Everyone else was carrying huge packs and they had like dehydrated meals with them. They had um, like little stoves in case the weather got so bad and we couldn't make it to like the lodgings in the evening. Like they were clued up and they knew that it was, you know, it was a, could have been a dangerous situation. And there's me, my mom and my dad. We had like a waterproof jacket and I was just in my normal gym clothes with like Nike trainers on and I uh, had a, a peaked cap, I think. Um, and we were so lucky that the weather was glorious sunshine for those four days. And actually, I know what you mean, because I still think it was probably one of the best experiences of my life, purely because it was physically so hard. And my parents, did amazingly well I had to carry my mum's backpack on my front for a few of the days but we ascended and descended like 900 meters each day um and but then in the yeah but then in the evening you see we stayed in these like lovely little sort of lodges and there was like a hot shower and they had these like honesty um honesty shops which was basically a little shack in someone's garden who was giving the accommodation and you could go in and buy like a bit of milk or a steak to put on the barbecue um so that kind of made it like okay but um I think I would love to do that kind of thing again like I I get what you mean it's it is amazing when you get past the it's like when you go on a run isn't it you get past let's say the 5k mark and it's really hard and then all of a sudden something changes and you're just like drifting on clouds and it you're everything just feels so alive and your skin's all hot and tingly and you just get this amazing I mean that's the runner's high the endorphins I guess um so I kind of yeah I kind of know where you're coming from but anyway some of the people had these frozen meals and I sort of like turned my nose up at them I was like ugh! but they were delicious like I got to try some of them and it is it's just a it's a normal meal just dehydrated isn't it like it's totally yeah normal.
1: This thing, I've there's one brand that I now swear by, and I generally try to have a little stash of them at home as well. Because if for any reason I just really can't be bothered with cooking, or I've got home late or something like that, mm. I will happily have one. Now they do work out mm. as you know quite pricey per meal, so I try not to do that too often. Yeah, um, but they are really good, and they are nutritionally pretty decent as well. Because mm. you know, you don't have that wider range of options when you're on the side of a mountain hundreds of miles away from anything. So to be able to have a meal that is hot tastes really good and is actually nutritionally good is oh it's so Mm. fantastic. That moment when you like when I'm huddled in my tent and my tent is really small. So I'm quite tall. I'm nearly six foot. I can't sit up properly in my tent. Like I'm, I always have to huddle over a little bit, which is so bad for my posture. Um, but that moment I'm huddled in my tent, in my sleeping bag and I open that packet of food and you just get that waft of hot food is just pure Mm. bliss. And then being able to devour it. Oh,
0: I love it. I've, often wondered when you've talked to us about your expeditions um the effect on your gut bacteria from doing like a long like 10 days fine but three months of eating pretty much the same thing every day you would lose like significant diversity in your gut microbes and I wonder do you ever feel like when you come back say you've done a three-month one when you come back do you feel ever sort of like under the weather or do you feel like you need to maybe like take a multivitamin or just like I don't know I actually I take yeah
1: I take multivits when I'm on my treks as well I always have a little thing of um of multivitamins just because I feel like it's the least I can do um Hmm. and sort of vitamin c effervescent tablets as well it's one of my little exciting drinks um and I mean whenever I get a day off or if i pass through any signs of civilization i immediately try to find as much fresh food as possible um even if Mm -hmm. that is just a plate of lettuce um (laughs) i mean that again the the options are limited when it's a mountain station where the supplies are being helicoptered in but generally they'll you know they'll have quite a good selection um so i try to eat as much fresh and diverse food there and then it's back to back to rations but
0: i mean chewy cheese
1: yeah oh yeah um I literally sometimes in the low moments just squeeze it straight into my mouth and as I do it I'm I think like this is so horrifying I would never do this in normal life but (sighs) just in those situations it's like yeah I'll do anything just to get a bit more food right now um but yeah coming I mean coming back from from long trips and short trips it's it's there's so much that goes on physically and emotionally um I find that you know, when I come back and stop, because obviously it's physically quite intense continuously for months at a time, and you come back and stop, like, that's when the exhaustion does just hit, and it's just, you Mm. you literally, like, crumple. Um, But then at the same time, you're being floored by what's called post-expedition blues, um, which, again, is that, that adjustment of going from being on an expedition where you're so focused on these very clear goals of, you know, packing down your tent, covering distance, finding somewhere safe to ten- to camp again, getting your water. You've got such clear goals and you come back into everyday life and suddenly there are so many different things that you can be working towards. You've got so many distractions. You're back on your phone. You've got notifications. Like even walking into a supermarket is like a horrendous experience because you've gone from opening your bag and being like, okay, should I have my dehydrated bolognese or my dehydrated dal and rice tonight? And then you walk into mm. the supermarket and it's like, there are 15 different variety of apple. Um, mm. And so just that like changing back into everyday life can be so, so hard. So yeah, there's there's the physical toll that it takes um, and that, well, oh, the horrible emotional upheaval. It's so yeah. much easier just to stay on adventures. <laughs>
0: <sighs> um, now, if you're happy to talk about it, on your last trip, you ran into a bit of a, trouble situation and you had to activate your sos um which when you first sent us that message on the group i think it was maybe only sophie that kind of understood the significance of it I, in my head i was like oh okay and then it kind of became clear that actually it was really really serious how how has it been since that trip how have you have you coped have you been all right <sighs> Um, yes, on the whole, there have been a few wobbles, which you do know about.
1: Um, so to explain the situation that came up, so I was back up in Arctic Sweden, which is now somewhere that I go as often as possible because I love it. And I was there in the mountains in October. Um, and I had an eight day trek planned. It was meant to be quite low key, a bit of a holiday by my standards. It was just, I wasn't trying to achieve anything. Wasn't trying to, you know, cover any particular distance. I just wanted to be in that environment soaking it in as much as I could writing photographing um and the first six days of it were flipping incredible you know the probably the best six days of any adventure I've had it was just dreamy um and there wasn't too much snow snow was just on the mountaintop so it was quite easy conditions it was cold it was you know generally just below freezing my water bottle was frozen every morning tent was frosty um actually sometimes frozen shut (laughs) um but then on day, I think it was probably end of day six, heading into day seven, I um, ended up getting caught out by the biggest snowfall I have ever experienced. So in the space of about 24 hours, it went from being like ankle deep snow up to anywhere between my knees and my waist. And that is really, really exhausting conditions and pretty hard to trek through. And I didn't have skis or snowshoes because that snow hadn't been forecast. Um... So I ended up in this situation where I had to make a decision about whether to continue by myself um, or whether to activate my SOS. And I had to I mean, there wasn't really much of a decision to make there. I had to activate the SOS because I didn't have enough food to get back. Um, It should have taken me about a day and a half to cover the remaining distance back to the village. But with those conditions, it would have taken me about five or six days. And I didn't have enough food for that. And running out of food in those conditions when it's down to about minus 15, that's not okay. Um, So, yeah. So when I say activating my SOS, I carry a GPS device, um, which is made by Garmin. Um, And on that is a button that you can press. I've never had to press before, but I've always been intrigued by. Um, And that basically alerts the International Emergency Rescue Coordination Centre, which is based in America. It sends this alert to them and says that you need rescuing, basically. And they then delegate your case to local emergency services, so the Swedish police and mountain rescue in the area. And they... So the device that I have, you can it's got two-way messaging. So I then received a message from the Swedish police saying, hi, Anna, um, we hear you need rescuing, basically. Can you tell us a bit more about the, the nature of the situation? So I was able to inform them that I was in my tent, had warm clothes, um, I could make a fire if I needed to, I had enough food for a few days. So they knew that it wasn't um, like a life or death emergency and that there was a bit of a time. Um, and yeah, so then you know about five hours later I think it was um a rather good-looking Swedish chap in a helicopter arrived um and (laughs) fished me out um but the yeah I mean the the 12 18 hours I think it was that I spent trying to decide whether to hit that button that was really really challenging for me um it was the most isolating thing that I've ever been through. And that may sound silly given that I spent time by myself in these environments, but I've never, I've never felt that alone because I've never had to make such a big decision like that. Um, And I couldn't phone or message anyone to ask for advice or a second opinion or to just see what they thought about this. Um, I had to just do that fully by myself. And that was really, really stressful and horrible. Um, But I kind of, I'm quite good at putting the emotional side of that to one side, because I know it's not productive in making that decision. I kind of just didn't engage with, with what I was going through. Um, Other than just thinking like, yeah, this is pretty rubbish. Don't want to do this again, Um, or don't want to go through this again. Um, And I mean, I, I wrote about it a bit in my journal and I filmed myself while I was in that situation I think it was just after I knew that the helicopter was coming and I haven't been able to watch that video back fully because it actually is really hard to see the emotion and the turmoil that I was going through um and since I've been back I've kind of I have had to deal with it um because uh it got triggered by having to be rescued by the AA which completely took me by surprise but I think just Going through that situation again when I where I needed help, I needed someone to come and get me. Just sort of brought it all flooding back. And this poor AA yeah. guy, he thought he was just coming to help someone with the with a flat tire, uh, but no, there was a broken down car and a breaking down girl on the side of the road there. Oh. <laughs> uh, so that was that was a bit rubbish. But you know, I I am so excited for the next time that I can go back to those mountains. I'm already well half planning a trip. It's kind of hard to plan things at the moment. Um, but I'm not mm-hmm. letting it stop me from doing anything else. Now I know that what happens, um, it's it's so straightforward and so easy. And everyone was so supportive and kind because I think I had, I had this real issue in my head. This is why it took so long for me to actually activate the SOS is because I didn't want to be that person, that idiot who went out without all the correct equipment, no idea, just, you know, causing mm-hmm. a scene, kicking up a fuss. I didn't want to be that person. And I was really embarrassed by getting into that situation, which is daft because I am experienced and I'm skilled and I had all of the right equipment. Um, Mm. I was just unlucky. And, you know, mountains are fickle. (laughs) The weather there can just absolutely screw you over. And, um, you know, the mountain rescue guys absolutely didn't blame me, um, didn't fault my actions. They were glad that I had the SOS device and that I could... Could get myself out there with their help. Um, Yeah. Yeah, so a bit of an experience. But Silver Linings, got a helicopter ride out of it, which was awesome. Um, And I got to see the Northern Lights that night from the comfort of a bed in a mountain station. Um, You know, I'm a big believer in finding positives in pretty much any situation. And thankfully, in that situation, it didn't take too long to Mm. get some um, Silver Linings. Amazing.
0: And... A quick question before we wrap up. How do your parents feel about your chosen field? <laughs> <laughs> so they,
1: my dad always kind of got it. Um, I used to do quite a lot of walking with my dad anyway. So he he understood that side of it. Um, they both were quite nervous when I first started going off. So that first trip that I did to the Arctic in 2016 My mum in particular was really nervous. So I took her with me to the start point um, so that she could see where I was going and kind of, so she could see that environment, I guess. Um, And that helped her. And actually, after I came back from that trip, I did not stop banging on about it so much that my parents have now gone up to the Arctic a couple of times themselves um, and have started doing sections of the long distance tracks that I've done. So they now have literally followed in my footsteps (laughs) Um, and they love it it is it is and so now we've got this this kind of shared experience this common ground like we were always really close anyway but now you know they've got maps of arctic sweden up in in their home and you know we talk about kit and if i've come across like a really good pair of walking boots or something like that like i'll be like oh Mum, dad you need to check these out like take these on your next trip or you know it's just yeah, so they, they are much more on board with it now and they recognise that I'm I'm pretty responsible. And yes, I do quite out there things, but I do it in quite a considered way and I don't take unnecessary risks. So.
0: Mm. <laughs> amazing. Well, this has been so interesting and lovely to talk to you in your professional capacity rather than just as my friend that I go swimming with most <laughs> days. Um so thank you, Anna. I think a lot of people would find this really interesting. If there's anyone listening that is keen to kind of get into this um area, how would you suggest that they start? Um, I mean,
1: my what I always say is just take a step out the front door. If there's something that sounds really daft out of context, but I think if you've got... It sounds like something you would see
0: in a Hollywood movie. I, do think. You know, I think
1: I've actually taken it out of The Hobbit. Pretty sure that's what Bilbo does. Um, I think that's in like one of his little songs mm, or poems. does surprise me. Poems, no. So if there's basically just take a first step, work out what it is that you want to do or kind of an idea of what you want to do and try and figure out, what actually needs to happen in order to get there. So there's a fantastic quote, which I'm definitely going to mess up and misquote, but it's something along the lines of start by doing what's necessary, then do what's possible. And suddenly you're achieving the impossible. So it's just that idea of if you've got some really big idea or, you know, you want to go wild camping for the first time, figure out, okay, if I want to do that, what are the key things I need in order to actually make that happen? Set about doing those and then things just kind of naturally fall into place and one thing, you know, opens the door for the next step and those opportunities just kind of Mm. arise from it. And don't be scared. Amazing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Don't try not to be
0: scared. Um, Amazing. Anna, thank you so much. I just would love to ask you the same question I ask all my podcast guests um, to finish, which is, what does state of mind mean to you?
1: So, state of mind to me... I guess it is, it's kind of where your head is at, but how that affects how you respond and react to different situations and things like that. So, for example, if you're in a positive state of mind, that's going to really, um, like, you'll respond to things very, very differently than if you were in a negative space of mind. Um, so I think it's something that is kind of controllable and something that you can work on, Um Like, I now think I've got a positive state of mind on the whole, maybe not so much when I'm hungry and tired, but on the whole, I think it's, I've got a positive state of mind, which means that actually I don't see negative things as, um, you know, challenges I can't overcome. I see them as like an opportunity to try something different or to push myself a little bit. Um, so I think it's, yeah, it's that sort of way you view things, um, and how Mm -hmm. that sort of translates through to the steps that you take and the situations you put yourself in. Mm, Nice.
0: Anna, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been wonderful to talk to you. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much again for tuning in to State of Mind. If you did enjoy the episode, please leave a review and subscribe via the Apple Podcasts app. Just a reminder that Davey J are offering 10% off to all listeners of State of Mind using the code STATE OF MIND on their website daveyj.org. Thanks very much and I'll see you next week. Bye bye!